Welcome to Pablo Torre Finds Out. I am Pablo Torre, and today we're going to find out what this sound is. In the article, he's like, I try to make a movie a year. And then my beautiful wife and I f*** around, but I wish I was a dog. If you want to be a dog, <laughs> the f*** do the rest of us want to be? Right after this ad. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look at the grumpy, moody, arrogant face of Dominique Foxworth. And yeah, well, you're already... He's too cool I was for happy. this. He's I was already joyful too cool to for us, Dan. I was, I was joyful to see you and was about to syrupply express how much I love seeing you guys and how much joy it genuinely brings me that we're doing this together in this form, on this platform, and you had angry black man face. You gave, and don't, and don't just say it's your face. Don't you, it was, it was, you seemed better than the room. I don't see color. I just see, I, I, I don't <laughs> see color. I just see anger. <laughs> Nah, you just see content. We'll get I to do. that. I do. I do. I'm already wondering, am I have, do I have to bleep Dan saying black? Are we going to have to like leave it up to the audience to decipher <laughs> what gonna, that word was? It's gonna, if you bleep it, it makes it worse. <laughs> it's so much worse. What terrible, yeah. so much worse. What did he just call Dominique? <laughs> Dominique's carrying around a notebook now, Dan. I don't know if you saw that before. Dominique has like, you look like a moleskin notebook. Why, why do you have a notebook now? I, was, I like to write things down. This is your journalistic effort. This is you. This is Pablo Torre. Find things out. Why do you have a notebook? Why do you have water? Because you're thirsty. I have a notebook because I like to write things down sometimes, Pablo. No, why do you have on a sweatshirt? That's like asking me, why am I drinking from a goblet when all I need is water? And you're walking around with like an yeah. ink well and a quill. Because I'm dope. Answer the most questions you have. But is that dope? I would think you'd me. have a computer or something, just a notes app or something. You got to write it down by hand. I mean, he's an artist like, now. You... I, so I get it. I get it. Dominique's an artist. He's more writer than either of us. He's literally writing now. No, I will tell you what's happening. This is my theory. Pop psychologist from over here. Competitive Dominique Foxworth, who loves to win and be better than others at everything, is writing down independent thoughts all the time that other people in the sports media aren't having because he has independent thoughts that are mm. more interesting than most. Nope. It's just me keeping score with everybody in my life. I'm on the Pablo page right now, and that's been a blowout for years. Dominating you, Pablo. <laughs> he's just, Coming for your he's ass, Dan. He's just well, it's right. a, close, it's a closer match with you me better and you, Dan. Slow down. For that you ass, better so. slow down. Mm -mm. I, I can't lose. <sighs> I hate the fact that we're probably going to Photoshop the page where Dominique just described the score, the running score between me and him. <laughs> Although you did. I you paid did. for f***ing dinner. You, did. you paid for a dinner. You paid for a dinner. I, I believe that you only paid for the dinner because you knew that I was coming on the show and you wanted to be able to say publicly that you paid for a dinner because you everyone knows that you go to dinners with me all the time and you never pay for a dinner. He's using you for content? He's using. He's not even paying you? He's making you no. do the work for his podcast and not even paying you? I'm, 
And then I'm always on the on the lookout when I'm with Pablo, where he's trying to surreptitiously snap pictures for his goofy ass Instagram. <laughs> Little Stugatz and, and everybody. Of course, he, Little Stugatz he knows and everybody. That, he knows that I know this. He knows that I know this. So he snuck no, one in, and no, I saw he, it later. He is a fame. Where he tagged me. No, in he it. does this all oh, the time. Gosh. No, he's a fame. He goes. Well, he does this all the time. Dominique, how many courtside hey. seats have you seen with him and famous people? Because oh, he wants gosh. to appear cooler than For he is. For the record, well, yeah, all of the fame is entirely consensual. So I feel like I should start the show with a sports topic, a sports topic that began with a short athletic story, uh, but gave rise to bigger thoughts. And so the title of this article uh, is What's the Best Way to Deal with Nick Saban's Fiery Coaching? Alabama Football Players Explain. And I don't know if you guys saw any of the Alabama-Mississippi State game last Saturday. Um, it was generally uninteresting to me, except for the fact that Nick Saban on the sideline was doing stuff like this. You can see if you watch the DraftKings Network or our YouTube channel, he's yelling at everybody. <laughs> he is yelling at people. He's yelling at his offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese. He's yelling at players like Terry and Arnold, a cornerback, Dominique, a young cornerback, who was chewed out very publicly on the sideline. And during halftime, Nick Saban was approached by the ESPN reporter. And at halftime, you know, Alabama had started slow. They got up 31 to 10. And Saban was asked about how this all flipped around. And he said this. What do you think changed uh, in, in the flow of that game from sloppiness to all of a sudden execution? Know, did you see me get on him over there? Yes, I, I did. Well, maybe that's what changed. I don't know. You, you make that call. Thank you, coach. <laughs> oh. He's not wrong. <laughs> coach Saban got smoke for everybody in that first half. So all of this made me think about how to be coached, how I want to be coached, how I have been coached, how I would coach, and how Dominique Dan is different from us. That part I know. But I feel like being an athlete and responding to a Nick Saban, I'm not wired that way, and it makes me self-conscious about how I should be wired because this did, per Nick Saban's accounting, actually work. Well, I mean, accepting Nick Saban's accounting is your first mistake, and assuming that all athletes like to and respond to coaching like that is your second mistake. I'm shocked that you didn't show the Trent Dilfer um, outburst from the weekend, oh, yeah. you know, where he's flipping out on his coaches also um, for making a mistake, a substitution mistake or something like that. So I think many athletes respond to that. Many of them don't. It's probably uh, probably overrepresented in sports, people who can respond to that type of, like, coaching, but I think a lot of coaches justify it by saying that they're pushing buttons. And I wouldn't say that they're wrong. Like, you're pushing different buttons to try to get a reaction out of a player that is potentially not engaged or not focused. So maybe it works sometimes, maybe it doesn't. It's not the way that I feel like I respond. Like, I I think I, like, retreat back when someone yells at me like that. That doesn't make me want to get more locked mm -hmm. in. I 
think of myself as someone who would rather have a real conversation. Like, I'm not trying to, to mess up. You screaming at me well, isn't going to make I, me try no, but any harder. Dominique, I think, like, I remember the first time I thought about this. It was the very first time I considered it. It was Tom Coughlin during a playoff game with all the things Tom Coughlin represents. Old military, I'm in charge. These guys can't win unless I toughen them up and show them how to be leaders. And his field goal kicker had just missed an enormous kick in a playoff game. He felt bad enough, I assure you without Tom Coughlin coming over and just lighting him up. And I looked at it, and I'm like, that's not coaching. That's Tom Coughlin just feeling better about wanting control over things, and he's just feeling uh, rage, and he wants to get it out, and that guy's uh, consuming it. I don't think that you would respond to that. I'm not sure you would want your, co your children coached that way, that you would want them treated humanely and humanly. But I also think that the ego of the position leads Nick Saban to believe, no, the, I got the better result because I yelled, because I made that player tougher. And I would say to you, and you can lose them just as quickly that way because that is not a caring ally that you see now that's coming up with the Mike McDaniels of the, of the sport where they're like, no, how can I be a caretaker and an assistant and an ally and an administrative assistant? How can I be someone who just helps you? The thing is, this is about human psychology yes. is what this question is. And I feel responsible... Uh, as the football player over here and the most traditionally masculine person <laughs> in this conversation. To, I've got um, plenty what? of Cuban, Cuban caveman in me. No, 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 no. I got three kids and I play professional what football. What about me, I'm not saying guys? I'm, I'm here too. I'm just saying, come on, get that facial hair together, Pablo. I've been um, trying. So, <laughs> as the most traditionally masculine person here, I, I think like that, that. we would not be... Correct, uh, being traditionally masculine is not a compliment. I said as the most traditionally oh, wow. masculine. Sorry, my, my, like, my, we all my believe third eye was closed. That, it was extremely closed there. This yeah. is a compliment, my bad. Tri it is a compliment. Being, I don't consider myself traditionally masculine. Like I think of myself as a more progressive version of masculinity. But I do <laughs> believe that someone needs to speak for, uh, I'm certainly generally not a two sides person of the conversation, but I do think there's a reasonable side, uh, a reasonable position on the other side. When we're talking about human psychology, no one really knows how this works. So there are people that I think probably do respond better in certain situations that uh, would make us uncomfortable and we say that we don't like. I've had coaches try to get the best out of me when they thought I wasn't focused and try something like that. They noticed that it didn't work and they don't try it again. But there are players who I see like, yeah, they turn that energy into something else. And the other defense of them is the Tom Coughlin yelling at the kicker, I think is, yeah, there's no argument for how that's going to help. The kick is already kicked. He didn't do anything wrong. But I do believe in professional sports, there is an obligation and a responsibility that you you have to each other. So if someone flips out on a player on a pro football team, I would say, don't do that. That's not cool. You're showing them up. But if this is a continuation of someone who is not participating in practice, not doing, not paying attention in meetings, and then they make a mistake that's directly tied to that, like I do think that part of that is letting them know that what you're doing is not just letting you down. Everybody else's money is riding on right. this, too. Everyone else's reputation is riding on this, too. And maybe you can find a softer way to do it, but I do know in some of these uh, traditionally masculine scenarios, you're not just coaching to them. That's a performance for everybody else, too. So it's like, you know what? You want to be a motherfucker that doesn't do the that, you're that we expect of you? Then we're going to embarrass you here. And not that it's right or wrong, that 
maybe it doesn't get the best out of that person, but it is it can be cathartic to everyone else on the team that's looking like, see, that's what happens. That's what he deserves. Otherwise, you get your ass beat in the locker room, which happens well, too. Well, accountability, right? It's interwoven. It's interwoven with what Dominique was just describing there, right? Because you are maintaining this delicate ecosystem, which I think an office also can feel, although in a less traditionally masculine way than a fucking NFL locker room. But I will point out that there's this. I mean, again, to to make this to be a classic, um, untraditionally masculine person. I'll say there is a spectrum to all of this, right? And so there's a spectrum from Trent Dilfer on one end to even Nick Saban somewhere maybe like, you know, not on the other end, but somewhere in the middle. Because Terry and Arnold, the cornerback in question, said postgame, quote, I feel like I have a relationship with him to where he knows I can take coaching like that. It's hard coaching. When he chooses to come here, you never know when he could chew you out. But people always say you should be worried when he's not saying something to you. Now, look. In that power dynamic, and we should also distinguish between college and professional, right? There are There's a power imbalance inherently. But what I'm hearing is that every coach, every teacher, every parent, every motivator is kind of like a locksmith. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the combination to this safe? How do I pick this lock, even if they don't want to give up the thing inside of them that feels like potential? And I know for me, Dan, this is why I introduced this topic the way I did. I know that the way that I have been motivated, coached up, elevated, is different from the way that Dominique has explicitly asked from his actual producers doing our our job in our business. Like, I, in that way, am objectively softer in a way that's shameful oh, no, than but him. No, no, but the, I, I've told the story before of going in to ESPN and the former athletes were amazed, shocked yes. at the insecurity in the room because it gets, it gets weeded out. It cannot be in a locker room. Just simply shocked that anybody would get in their feelings about being yelled at once. But you bring up Nick Saban and in his defense, Ricky Williams was always an artist trying to work within the restrictions of the army, the only coach who reached him, who pushed the right buttons on a, a self-described weirdo, was indeed Nick Saban. Nick Saban found a way to reach. So maybe he does have some secret formula that changes player to player, and it's not always yelling. But my experience with people of Nick Saban's age and success is they are control freaks who, once that ball is put in play, actually have about 10% of the control over what happens. And when they lose or lose publicly, they appear like they want to show others they're in control. When mm. they're college kids, they're going to make mistakes. And I, I think they're obsessed with control. I think Nick Saban has been rewarded at every turn for that control. And I, I've asked Dominique, what percentage of coaches do you think really knew and understood the human being well enough to know, no, I can yell at Dominique Foxworth. No, I can't yell at Dominique Foxworth. I think that's their job. I, I think they do know. Um, there's certainly, so like, it's impossible to say one coach is never actually angry. He's always performing anger. But I think all coaches probably do lose their cool sometimes, and it's a genuine reaction. I also think that all coaches sometimes don't know what else to do, and they're like, all right, maybe I can fire this person up. It's not golf where it's about being incredibly focused and locked in, where uh, a spike in your adrenaline is going to be bad. It's football, so it probably does help sometimes to, like— Fire somebody up in whichever way you can. So, like, I do find myself defending them in that place. I wouldn't like it. I don't need it. But there's no formula. I don't think—I think the formula that you're looking for is just about care. And 
the idea that players, some players feel like it's okay when certain coaches yell at them is also how, like, I imagine your parents have yelled at you and maybe even hit mm-hmm. you growing up. You don't hate your parents. It's because you genuinely believe that they care about you and they want what's That's best That's important, for you. though. So, that trust yeah. is hugely important if someone's yelling well, at you. Well, do you believe that this person has your best interests at heart, right? Do you believe that they love you? Do you believe that they can be trusted with your actual physical vulnerability as well as emotional vulnerability? And do you believe that you deserve whatever is happening? And now we get into like some sort of um, victim blaming thing. And you can say no one ever deserves to be talked to like that. But if you let your team down in an important moment, you deserve something. And I I don't know what it is, but but, but, but uh, being yelled at is not The equivalent, though, of being hit with the, you know, immigrant parent slipper, right? As as you are, I don't know, chancleta. like nothing. Yeah, exactly. Chancleta, chancleta fly, flying across the room the way that an errant punt would, you know, like that part. It it does. Yeah. We not s- an, sorry, Papa. I, I thought that I thought I thought that we were clear about this. Is they're different things. Like dropping a punt, like trying your best and making a mistake. Like the Tom Coughlin thing, a guy missing a kick. That's an entirely different thing than doing the wrong thing. Like actually not executing. Mm. So I, I feel like it's different I, when, I'm here and it's that. also when it's tied to your preparation. We have to do that. We have to have a missed field goal. Tom Coughlin comes on the field and throws a chancleta at the <laughs> kicker. That would be so much better than <laughs> so just much yelling PTSD at it. PTSD for me. Please, <laughs> please make that a thing. But by the way, the generational distinction here is real, right? Because we're also in 2023 and all of the jokes we've made about the traditional aspect of anything, masculinity and otherwise. Saban's close to 80, right. man. Saban, where's he going to connect with the 20-year-old cornerback? Like, maybe, maybe, but that's going to take some work, and it's going to take it from somebody who better be hungrier than somebody who's close to 80 and has had a whole lot of success. I, I work the odds against Nick Saban being able to connect there with every 20-year-old. I disagree with you. Um, I think Nick Saban is not an just random 80-year-old man. Nick Saban is someone who has built up a tremendous amount of respect and cachet. And I think Nick Saban has a better chance of connecting with a 20-year-old cornerback than, frankly, I do as a 40-year-old former cornerback. I I think when you show up there, the relationship dynamics and the value that he offers you is so clear. And his track record is so clear that, yeah, Nick Saban yelling at me. And then I look at the history of players that he's yelled at and what's happened with them, it's a whole different scenario, I I think. And uh, assuming that throughout the week and throughout the year, he's also doing the things, at least that I've heard from players who play with Nick Saban, is that he does, for the most part, try to do the things. He's not Dabble Sweeney, who says that players don't deserve to get paid. He's at least in the last decade or so been someone who said that players should get paid and, and appears as uh, progressive-minded, even in the way that he coaches his team and the offensive development. Like, he does seem like someone who adapts. And he's never been the one who's made the 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 huge mistake with the way that he talks to his players or he treats his players. I do love the idea, though, of insecure Nick Saban, who's, like, memorizing, like, Lil Yachty lyrics to show up at work the next day. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we've seen it. We've seen video of him doing dances in people's living room. That man desperate for a baller just like the rest <laughs> of them. He will do whatever he can to get your black-ass dance scoring touchdowns. He will learn the latest dance and also dap. Uh, it's so sad.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to bring you guys an article from GQ. Chris Evans is having second thoughts. And below that, below the headline, it says, some of the things that the reluctant leading man has been contemplating lately include humanity's tiny place in our vast galaxy, autumns in New England, whether his dog realizes he's famous, and how, well, maybe being a movie star isn't the best occupation for a guy who's so prone to thinking about absolutely everything. And the reason I wanted to put this in front of you is because I remember when Tyson and Fury, who descends from decades of fighting in the street with his relatives, street fighters, bare-knuckle fighters, lifetime fighters, he gets to the heavyweight championship, the dream title that any fighter would want, immediately descends into cocaine and gains 100 pounds because what the top looked like or what he thought it looked like wasn't how it felt. There was still an emptiness there at arriving at all of his dreams. An emptiness made worse if you're an overthinker. So I ask you, Dominique, to tell me uh, when you have arrived at something. This happened to me with the sports reporters in Times Square. I thought it was the top of the profession, and then I go in there, and it smells like urine from the night before because it's in Times Square. It's at the ESPN zone. <laughs> Wait, People have vomited. I just love uh, yeah, the, the idea that Dan is relating to Captain f***ing America that's right. because he that's hung right. out with Michael Lupica. That's right. That's correct. Well, that was the top of my dreams. I dreamt smaller. I'm sorry not all of us dream as big as you, Pablo. My bad. Not all of us hang out courtside with whatever Glover it is you all were hanging out with. Yeah. Crispin, um, yeah. there too. The, no, my dreams were I get to talk about sports on television in Times Square. Why does that table at the center of this uh, that I learned from, how to be a sports writer, why is it 40 years old and covered in coffee stains? Because this isn't the top of the mountain. At 30 years old, I've arrived in a lonely place that doesn't look exactly like I thought it would look, the top of my profession. Has that ever happened to you, Dominique? Because you've gotten to the top of things. Yeah, I mean, I think, absolutely. I think there's no top is, I, I think, what I've come to realize and accept is that thinking of it as, like, one climb and thinking that when you get there that everything's going to be all right is a mistake. And I, I think the way that, one of the most interesting things about this article itself is that Chris Evans just talks about looking at the world differently at different times, which is something that I can relate to. And maybe that means I'm an overthinker or maybe everyone can relate to it also. Is there are times when I was at top of the mountain, so to speak, where I was like, this is awesome. I'm at the top of the mountain. And there are times when things weren't that great and I felt good about life. I think it's just the way that you look at the scoreboard and we all try to like... Uh, I think we want to make life as simple as movies uh, or make life as simple as a sporting yes. event where it's like, okay, this is the goal. And when we do it that way, we always end up being somewhat unfulfilled because nothing is ever that simple. That's what I've found. But as a young person, though, right, your voice changes mm -hmm. because what you think of or how you define success is different, right? So it does depend on what age you get to it. Like, uh, I... 
you getting to the top of football, professional sports, had to feel to you like the top or not? No, or it was no, it wasn't. I mean, it, it changes because you don't, as you, and maybe it's different when it's a, a quick thing. And because I was so young, it might feel like a quick thing. But I decided I wanted to be a professional football player when I was six. So, like, by the time I'm 22, that's a long process. And that's a lot of commitment, a lot of sacrifices. And it's also a lot of learning. I think we've had this conversation before. It's like having it be revealed to me what professional football is was a slow process where I got a, a better understanding of what was actually happening. And then being a first round number one overall pick, maybe that feels like the mountaintop. Getting your name called in the third round and then going out to Denver and fighting for a job and getting a check that is a respectable check, but it ain't life-changing money. It's not, it doesn't feel like the mountaintop. It just feels like you got to a plateau and then it's like, oh, shit. There is an even bigger mountain. And also there's a grizzly bear chasing <laughs> me because if I don't get to the top of this particular mountain, all the other things that I did leading up to this were mistakes that set me up to like be right. unsuccessful in life. So like it, it doesn't feel like a mountaintop to me. I well, don't know. the animal stuff, I want to bring in the part of the story that I related to despite also not being Captain America because Chris Evans is saying some stuff that resonates. He said, he said this, I want to read this quote. It's our self-awareness that separates us, but also what causes our suffering. We think it's what elevates yeah. us. I'd say that's actually what makes us inferior. And then he goes on to talk about how he sees his dog. His dog's name is Dodger. And he looks at Dodger and he feels something like envy. Envy because the dog is not self-aware. Envy because the dog is ignorant. And in ignorance, there is this freedom from caring about the stuff that has to do with being human, right? Which is to say... He is unconcerned, Dodger is, with all of the stuff about how people perceive him and the measuring. So the scoreboard idea is seemingly irrelevant in the animal kingdom. It is the part of the story that makes me think, I also want to be like Dodger. You could have just said <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Well, that, there's that. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you don't do any thinking, there's no self-loathing. Like, there's no room. If you're not doing any judgment of yourself, animals do not do self-loathing. They don't is, castigate Dan, themselves with un, not forgiving themselves on There things. is no aphorism that I am less likely to accept. <laughs> ignorance is bliss runs counter to everything I have wired in me and that I aspire to. Enlightenment and awareness, self-awareness specifically, I will talk to you endlessly about how it's a virtue. How the people who are oh, unself-aware no, are the problem. Both, no, but, but both of you, I would think, uh, suffer from this same affliction. I think, I may have this wrong, because I suffer from it. The illusion of control that the comfort of my mind allows me is just an illusion of control. I trust my mind implicitly. I've only, I've only recently learned that trusting the heart is something that matters a lot more. I thought because my mind did not bring me ultimate happiness. It did not. It brought me the illusion of control and nothing else. Like it's a, it's a poison as much as it is a blessing. Your mind, depending on how you how it treats you. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the way the aphorism that I would use is nothing in life is free. And I would use that because I believe that the mind, all the bad things that come with it, there's an equal and opposite, like, reward. So while, yes, the dog can never be, like, self-aware and feel all the insecurities and 
and challenges that we may feel as a result of the self-awareness. But he can also never feel the level of joy and um, fulfillment that we feel oh, also. Well, so he like, can lick his balls, he can, and he can feel <laughs> plenty of enjoyment, <laughs> and, and he can do all sorts of things that seem to make him plenty happy yeah, which, in ways I've never been happy. Which is which is all physical, and I think that they they don't have access to something that we have access to. So, like, I get Chris Evans's point and your point that sometimes when I'm stressed about my kid's future or when I'm stressed about how we're going to be able to do this next thing or how I'm going to be able to make enough time to fit, fit in all the f***ing podcasts I got to record <laughs> for my friends and otherwise. It's just nice to be like, oh, man, you know what? I'm just going to be a cat. Go eat <laughs> it's so, and lick and chill. It's so but, interesting, man. You, Pablo, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, no, Dominique, but one of the reasons that I think you're so much tougher— I trust your judgment. You interrupted me. It means I was going I, too long. Well, I, no, I'm only yeah, doing this because up. something you said was so fascinating to me about how much tougher you are than we are in every way. If the mountaintop is not third-round pick getting to the pros because you have to live your life of, oh, shit. There are carnivores out here trying to take my family's money if I don't stay in this league. Like, of course you're going to be tougher than us. Like, I don't know what it's like to be competitive like that for dollars. But hold on. I think part of the underlying through line here, which I see Dominique um, generously uh, providing here, is that we're all impressed by the thing we didn't do. So, like... You, Dan, fetishized Dominique's life because he is football guy. Chris Evans fetishizes in this article the guy doing pottery, listening to music, un unstressed by the stresses of Hollywood. And me too, I am also now clearly fetishizing a dog. And I mean, I think most people fetishize uh, Chris Evans' yes. life. And I think as an as an athlete, that's something that I'm familiar with. It is kind of annoying, which I imagine Chris Evans as a straight white male. Captain America. Uh, Captain superstar, America. lead actor, millionaire. Yeah, most people are like, yeah, give me that life. And he, I'm sure lots of people who read this article were probably turned off by that. Because no one wants to hear Absolutely. that Chris Evans has stress. In the article, he's like, I try to make a movie a year. Then my beautiful <laughs> wife and I f*** around, it's but I wish I was thing. a dog. It's such if a you want to be a dog, the f*** do the rest of us want to be? Can you imagine, though? I like this so much more, not as the actor, but as the actual Captain America. The, the glum superhero just burdened with, do you know how much responsibility it is to be superhuman? I want to put him in the costume and have Captain America hate himself so much that he wants to be the dog, that he doesn't want to be superhuman or human. That he, he, he yeah, want, I mean, Captain America is, is the perfect analogy for this because it is, and I guess maybe Spider-Man is even better because it is like the idea of great power and great responsibility and that responsibility is hard and I the thing that I think about often when I get the idea so people know like I'm a professional athlete and know that I do like a pretty fun job now and get paid enough money and they're jealous of me and say things that are like I, I'm not allowed to complain or you hear about athletes all the time like oh you get paid so much money whatever and I, I hear Dan defending them but I never really bring this up, but it always crosses my mind that it's just about who you compare yourself to because the distance between a superstar athlete or Chris Evans and the average American person is probably similar to the distance between average American person and poor person who does not live in the Western part of uh, the, or the Western hemisphere. Right. So like, right. it is all about 
making comparisons, which is why I guess Pablo just wants to be a dog because they aren't smart enough to make comparisons. They're just happy because they got a meal and Dan made some weird. But I'm not. I'm not fetishizing though the idea that you at one point, at one point, you were earning money for playing sports. Like that was the goal. Like that you arrived. That you couldn't enjoy it because there was too much. There were too many bears chasing you. Doesn't change the fact. It's not. You did the hardest thing, Dominique. You did the hardest thing. Right. And then the the hardest, hardest thing was actually getting to the second contract. That was the one that, that was the time when I was like, oh. And it wasn't like joy. It was more like relief. Was you had to, I had to get to that second contract. People don't and, understand that about athletes, yeah. Dominique. That 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 you're playing a game for a living, you're making a lot of money, and you don't get to joy until it feels like relief because now the burden of the expectations of my body but, needs to make me money for a long time and, to feed a lot of people. Like that's a burden nobody actually wants. And the 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 point that I wanted to that I tried to make at the beginning of this is it depends on how I'm looking at it because. I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy being in the NFL at any point. I didn't enjoy playing. I didn't enjoy the things that come along with it. And I didn't at any moment in that time. There were several times in there before the second contract and even in college and even in high school where I was like, God damn, this is great. This is awesome. (laughs) This is awesome. But then those are like fleeting moments. They're like uh, pieces of candy. Whereas during a normal day, it's the stresses that come along with it. And that candy is never enough to, I think, is a better way to explain it. Because I don't... I don't want people to think that I was just walking around moping like, man, I got to make this team. I got to well, get a second is, contract. No. This is part of what, Dominique, is what, it's, it's a great point. It's part of what Chris Evans is trying to say. And I hate that I'm referring to Chris Evans as if he's fucking uh, Nietzsche or anything. But he, he pointed out, he pointed out that when he thinks small, when he thinks about the thing in front of him, he suffers. When he looks at himself or his life under a microscope, as you just described an athlete doing, it is suffering. But when you think bigger, when you try to truly abstract yourself and sort of put yourself in the perspective, you talked about comparisons. Compare yourself to the f***ing galaxy. Compare yourself to the sweep of human history. And at that point, you'll realize that, okay, nothing here matters. And in that, in that knowledge, which I think is in some ways is the opposite of ignorance, but in the true knowledge of how small we are, because everything else is so big, maybe there is actually some sort of relief. Yeah, I mean, I think that some of that comes with age and experience, but it also comes with, as I was reading this article, I was waiting for the drug reference. He got to it in the last <laughs> paragraph or so. I was like, oh, yeah, and Chris Evans smokes a lot of weed. <laughs> but sometimes that does allow people to open their mind up to see the things that that they otherwise wouldn't see. But the funny thing is, through your, your point you're making in a much more ver- verbose way than necessary is okay. That's so you true. can get so smart so that true. you get to the simple place, or you could be so, like— Dumb as a dog that you're in a simple place. The point is we all want to get to the simple place. That's right. Just ignorance is bliss licking your balls. I think we can all agree that we have proven in this segment. I take it back. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Before you close it out, as you always (laughs) most wonderfully do, because I do miss that about you. I I do want to point out that I, hold on. One thing. I am no longer the most traditionally masculine person here. It's definitely Dan, because all he really wants is his balls licked. That's right. right. Nothing that's, gets more traditionally masculine than that. There you go. I was threatened by your traditional so, masculinity. And anybody who many. thinks that we humans cannot lick our own balls, Uh-oh. replay oh, this God. segment. Oh, no. oh, replay no. this no. segment. I love, no. No. I, love, I no. love working with you because no. I do believe that you do a great job of tying things together. But as we also established in this segment, 
There's a price for everything. And the price that I have to pay when I work with you is Unpleasant. that sometime you're going to make some weird sex stuff weirder. I still work for ESPN, guys, just so you know. You, maybe, maybe you motherfuckers say whatever you want, but I still work for Disney. So can we chill? All right, so the article that I'm bringing is a, a Hollywood Reporter article uh, about, it's kind of a short article based on Idris Alba doing a podcast where he talked about his workaholic nature and how mm. it, like, infests his life in a great deal. In my therapy, I've been thinking a lot about changing, almost to the point of neuro neuropaths being mm. changed and shifting. Mm. And it's not because I don't like myself or anything like that. It's just that I have some unhealthy habits that have just really formed. And they, you know, <clears throat> I work in an industry that I'm rewarded for those unhealthy habits. I'm rewarded for that. You know, whether it's to be selfish or to be... <clears throat> I'm a workaholic. I'm an absolute workaholic. And that isn't great for life, generally. Honestly, I, this was a reverse search. I wanted to talk about something, and I found any <laughs> article that was ten, loosely uh, tangential to my feelings well, that's, about... That's the opposite of reporting. A reporter goes okay. in, it doesn't know Who's what his story is. Well, you said, you're, you uh -huh. said that you wanted to talk about something, and you loosely tied it to an article to keep it to the flimsy conceit of we're bringing something here, but it's really just uh, Dominique now wants to talk about something. I'm bringing something here. I'm bringing beef. That's what I'm bringing here. here I'm bringing we go. beef with people who are my friends, but uh, Pablo specifically has been infected with content brain. <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous. The thing is, the workaholic nature of Pablo and many people like him is weird because being a workaholic, as Idris Alba puts it, and he's an actor, is one thing. And it's dangerous for him to go and leave his family and go work on a movie and develop a whole brand new family and then cut it off and then go back to be with your family. Like, I understand that in general, traditional workaholics, I can understand how it could be detrimental on your life in ways that aren't connected to your job. But what I've found with some of my friends, Pablo specifically, is that it's so detrimental to your life that it infects the way that you treat everybody and the relationships you have with people where... Pablo and I used to talk. We used to text. And the only time I hear from Pablo <laughs> is him trying to get me on this stupid-ass show. By the way, I got a stupid-ass show, too. Do we going to promote that? You ever been on my stupid-ass show? No. Let's preserve our relationship. I do Everything some of the is same. not about I've done, making I've shit. Done, I've done some of the same things to you. Dominique has dragged me back a couple of times. Where it's like, Don't hey, you can, hate it, though? Can, can we just I'm be friends? Dan's well, wait a minute. Too. Finally, it saves me the step. Yes, it's not fair. It's not fair to Dominique. But what has happened here, and I think this is super interesting and you will recognize it, Pablo sees in front of him an opportunity of a lifetime to make something specifically tailored to his life specific specifications as a career in his voice and personality for the rest of his life to raise uh, Violet and to and, yep. and to give a great life to his family. And, and the obsession of the opportunity, you're going to say, is a lack of balance that makes him, you know, rationalize that he's buried in work and not tending to things at home that a workaholic has to... Uh, 
also pay attention to, but I recognize it because what's funny about, not only do I recognize it, I'm actually proud of part of lopsided Pablo because he used to be lazy. I saw when he was lazy. I saw when he didn't care about something that it was his own, that he was fooling around on television and it was easy for him as cotton candy. I saw when he wasn't making his own thing, how he, he could be your friend in a way that wasn't worried about the content, but now he's got his own risk, his own opportunity, his own grown-up responsibilities, and so it becomes an obsession because it has to succeed. So, for, 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 okay. for just hold well, on, hold well, on, hold the f on. Nah, I just, no, 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 what? no, no, you hold you, the uh -oh. on. So, this isn't uh -oh. the dominant uh -oh. I don't give a shit that this is digital. I'll see you again. I'll see you again. Uh -oh. So, let my traditional masculinity step you down. Oh, no. I'm just going to make a question, try to improve your okay. show. Okay. All right, so, Pablo, write down what you were going to say and let him be the alpha. Let me you take out my notebook. <laughs> Am I am I the devil on your shoulder or the That's, angel on your shoulder? You're stealing my point. Dan you're is definitely okay, one. Okay, so Dominique and I, unfortunately, I'm stealing it. I did it better. I have quicker. like a a double Efficient. entendre metaphor here because what you just did was obviously sync your content brain, which you deny having, with my content brain, which wanted to point out that if you're watching this on the DraftKings Network, or on my YouTube channel. Pablo Torre finds out. No, my show, Dominique Foxworth Show. We're on YouTube at ESPN. On, also, follow my podcast. On it's the one gross. shoulder. You know it's gross. I on know the it's one gross. shoulder is Dominique is Foxworth, gross. alleged it angel. And on the other side is Dan Lebetard, uh. the content-brained devil who is texting me encouragement because he sees how obsessed I am with making my show better. Don't animate this shit. You better not animate <laughs> this shit. And my point about Dominique and the merging of our content brains is that there is nothing more content brain than turning content brain into content. That is what you, sir, have done here today. And so this is what this was your big get. You knew I was going to bring your content brain. You just couldn't wait to try to act like you turned it on me. You didn't no, turn it on me. No, what I'm saying is that you have content brain aspirations and you're I afraid I don't. to give in. I don't. You're afraid to give in, Dominique. He's afraid. I'm not Dan, afraid to give in. I'm not afraid to he, give in. Well, this is interesting. I, let me let me start, if I may, Alpha. If I may. <laughs> just I, I, from, Proceed, sir. From over here, I do believe Dominique has an incredible life balance. He is good about putting his priorities where they belong and when he needs to be get to present. The, get to the shot. Get, when, get no, to the insult. When he I don't needs, need all no, the butter. No, when he needs <laughs> to be present, he is present. However, I believe that notebook Mm. would reveal evidence of content brain. That's right. I believe that that notebook is you carrying around ideas for what you want to do that might come to you in a moment. Why are you carrying around that notebook? Because I need to write down notes. It's not about the show. It's not content brain. It has nothing to do with any of that. You wish that you had a big gotcha <laughs> moment, but it's not a big gotcha moment. No, no, no. I'm not giving up on this gotcha moment that, yet. I okay. just... No, Dominic, this is... This is what we're dealing with is Dominique trying to have it both ways. I'm yes. not. Yes, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm just okay. telling you, as, as, as your friend who will admit that I've been a worse friend because I've been afflicted with late-onset content brain, is that I have noticed that you want to do some stuff in the world of writing, in the world of media, in the world of entertainment, that is wildly ambitious. And don't don't say I want to do stuff like I don't get that shit he's, done. He's doing it. I do he's doing it. Everything I want to do, it gets All done. Right. All right, he's doing right, it right now. Proper respect. Go ahead. But this is this is my point: is that 
what you see as content brain is my evolutionary adaptation to try and get stuff done. And you're doing it in a way okay. that is, I think, in this way, it is less honest than guy who oh. is worse at texting oh. now. Because you're in the shadows this doing is, stuff. You know. Dishonest. You know, the point that I am making <laughs> to you, Pablo, and the reason why I yell at you and even uh, Dan sometimes too about the content brain is not because I think that it is all bad because I do believe nothing is all bad and nothing is all good. The fact of the matter is you're lying to yourself and you're trying to justify it and pretending like you're not aware that there is a cost for it. You're not going to lose me as a friend. I'm going to be your friend. But be honest with what you're doing. You are paying a price too. That's all I want you to know. I also think, though, I think if I can, uh, and he's not going to let me have this one either, I do believe, though, that Dominique thinks himself, and rightly in most instances, so singularly unique that nothing would afflict him exactly the same way it afflicts you and me, Pablo, that he would... Oh, of course, uh, what he wants that, you that to he think. Would, Dan, he would be, you he are would such be a patsy, it. Dan. How is it that you fall for this handsome... No, he didn't say that. You're such a bad listener. He said that's what Dominique wants him to think. He's not saying that he thinks that also. Shut up, host man, and let the man talk. Proceed, Dan. Yeah, I just, I believe that he thinks himself so unique, and I've seen a lot of evidence of him thinks. actually being balanced, actually having his priorities in order, actually measuring success different than other workaholics I have met. He wants to succeed. He wants to achieve. He's confident he can do those things, and he is doing those things. I just think he wants you to think and us to think that he comes by that as easily as he did his Harvard business degree and cornerback in the NFL, that it was effortless for him. It was not an addiction. It was a choice because this man is so alpha, he is not controlled by any of his addiction. There it is. Don't forget that I, I've, I've written on scripted television shows, too. I do it all. That's what That's I was referring I said I wanted to. That's do. what I was it's easy. Done. Yeah. That's the I know, key to being but, cool. But it's why we'll it, never be but cool. But Dan left it out. But Dan left it's, it out. But it's so why we we'll never include. be cool because we can't. We can't be. We can't be as confident as you. It's just not. So it's not possible. The, the, it's not that. So I recognize. If we're gonna be honest here, and I'll I'll drop the the alpha man performance for you. Yeah, I've come to a different place than you. It may not be a better place, but what happened was I had made enough money. And it's like a retirement age experience that I was fortunate enough to have in my late 20s that most people never have or don't have till late in life. I imagine that before Dan started this company where he also, along with the the pressure of having a successful company, carries with it the pressure of succeeding for your friends because they don't have the security that Dan has. I imagine that if Dan had met Valerie and been all comfortable and happy in his life when he had money and did not have all these pressures, I imagine Dan would have come to a similar place as I have come. But I was fortunate enough to be able to take a second. When I was 29 and I quit at the NBA Players Association, I looked at my bank account and was like, that's enough money. How do I want the rest of life, my life to be? And I looked around and my wife had a bunch of lifelong friends and I have none. That's what it came to. And I was like, all right, let's see what I actually care about. So that deathbed moment that lots of people have or you talk about having where you start assessing things, I did it at 29. And I was like, all right, when I'm 80, well, probably more like 72. I'm a black man as we've established <laughs> life expectancy very low. When I am 72 and I'm dying of heart disease or hypertension or just general racism, then I will be like, hey, what did I do with the last 50 years of my life when wow, I had an opportunity so to fill my life with things that are going to be rewarding, I kept chasing this bullshit 
That doesn't matter. And all I'm saying to you, Pablo, is I want you to be aware of it. I'm not expecting you to be to change. And I understand that your financial situation and your position in life is all very different. But just be aware of what you're doing, the decisions you are making, and when you make it to, what, 80, 85, 90, then you can look back and say, thanks, Dominique, for snapping me out of that <laughs> I got to go pick up my son from school. At the very end here, Dan, we're going to do a very unique finish to the show because Dominique Foxworth is gone, and we are left to hear his echoing words of wisdom. And at the end, I am curious if you found out anything, big picture, because what I found out, truly, is that I do need to text Dominique more. I have been sh about that. He's just exposed you as a shitty friend on your own podcast, which is I, masterwork. I found out in ways that are making me genuinely uncomfortable. But uh, in all seriousness, though, Pablo, in terms of what kind of friend he aspires to be and wants us to be because he has learned some of the important things that need to be learned in life, uh, he has been hugely helpful throughout the last couple of months, reaching out only and exclusively to be a friend yes. because he knows I am in pain and he knows what the important things are after the loss of my brother and won't let me talk, will not let me get to the business stuff because he's forcing me to sit in the friendship. I remember the first time, the first day I spent any time with Dominique, he was putting on a backpack as he was leaving my apartment and he said to me, and when do I get to help you? You know, he had just started Highly Questionable. He's like, when do I get to start helping you? And ever since then, it's all he's been doing. Like, he lives his life in the right space there. Eager, eager to be a good and loving friend. Yes, he is in that way far more advanced than we are. We 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 sat down after, after your brother passed away, Dan, and you brought in to the office a bottle of tequila, four glasses, with the intent of let's... Let's do a show. Let's make this content. Let's make your grief content because that is your safe space. That's your comfort zone. And I, in my content brain, was down for it. I was like, yeah, I think that would be good. I think we can get to some places, as you suspect, that would be real and and genuinely um, compelling. I'd still like to do that. I'd oh, still like I, to do I, that. I, I'd like to explore. I know I've you been would. isolating from. I've been isolating from people because I don't want to do that. I'm scared to do it. And like I don't. Even the people who care about right. me. Right. And I get it. And I would listen to that. I would participate and I would listen. But Dominique was the one at that table who said, "We are not turning on a microphone right now." And we sat there and we talked and it was an amazing afternoon that I am now betraying for content reasons on Pablo Torre. Yeah, and, 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 well, and you're denying them the actual content because it would have been good content. Like that conversation, people would have wanted to hear that conversation. Please, please like and subscribe. We're all sickos is what uh, was just informed in my ear. You know, we talk about love languages a lot um, in the world of relationships. And that was our love language, believe it or not. Um, me, Dan, Dominique, loving each other by sounding like maybe we don't love each other. But that's because we just love each other that much. So, until next time, Pablo Torre Finds Out is produced 
entirely to spite David Sampson, basically. And the people spiting him are Michael Antonucci, Ryan Cortez, Sam Daywig, Patrick Kim, Neely Lohman, Rachel Miller Howard, Carl Scott, Ethan Schreier, Matt Sullivan, Chris Tuminello, Studio Engineering by Viridian Tech, Post Production by NGW Post, and our theme song by John Bravo. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.